just realized I have to look somewhere else. I'm obviously not going to find the answers that I was looking for in a traditional Western education. This is just the Western way of explaining what they've always known in Eastern medicine. Life is so filled with challenges, ways to become out of balance. Foods have qualities or properties. A person with a heat pattern might be overeating meats. They're having too much. A person with a cold pattern might need more of those foods to kind of warm up. A balanced person feels good. They're accomplishing their goals. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Today's episode has been so long coming. Super excited to bring it to you guys. It's with Linda Prout, who wrote a book which honestly changed my life. I personally have been fascinated with traditional Chinese medicine for quite a while, particularly because of its whole body perspective and view of health and diet. I find it just so comprehensive and so different from Western medicine that we have today. And what I love about Linda is she makes TCM so accessible, so understandable, and she really bridges the gap between Eastern and Western medicine in her book, Live in the Balance, which I loved so much, guys, so much that I've actually been recording the audiobook for it. And when this podcast comes out, it should be live on Audible. The link to it will be in the show notes. If it's not up yet, it will be very, very soon. We tried to time it so that it would be out once this podcast aired. And the premiere day of this episode is the last day that it was supposed to be ready. So hopefully it's there. If it's not, check back. It will be within the next few days. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com TCM. I am a Himalaya partnered show. And if you follow the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast in the Himalaya app, you will get early access to the podcast 24 hours in advance. So definitely check that out. You can also join my exclusive Himalaya Plus community. There you can discuss episodes, make guest requests, and you'll also get exclusive content straight from me each month. Also, please join me in my Facebook group. That is Paleo OMAD Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life, It's an amazing world where we discuss all of the things biohacking, but definitely join that group. We talk about everything and anything and everybody's welcome. And I would love to see you there. All right. Now enjoy the show. Hi friends. So I am thrilled to be here today with a wonderful woman who I feel like I know very well. (laughs) I've been working with her for quite a while recently, but that is Linda Prout, and she is the author of Live in the Balance, the groundbreaking East-West Nutrition Program. Linda, I don't think you actually know this, but I became really interested in traditional Chinese medicine about four years ago or so when I started experiencing digestive issues. And I turned to traditional Chinese medicine because I really appreciated the holistic approach that it took to health, especially when it comes to food and digestion. And I'm sure we will get into the details of all of that. But I, of course, found the Bible, I would call it, of traditional Chinese medicine, which was Paul Pitchford's Healing with Whole Foods. And 
Guys, I'm so excited because I just realized that you studied with him, Linda. I didn't know that. That's amazing. I did. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. When was that that you worked with him or studied with him? Oh, that was probably 10 years ago. Wow. Was he just like a wealth of knowledge with TCM? He definitely was a wealth of knowledge and a living example of someone that practices TCM. That's so amazing. So for listeners, if you're not familiar, he his book, Healing with Whole Foods, it's this just massive, amazing reference that goes into so much detail about anything you could ever want to know about traditional Chinese medicine, food, the organs, everything, which we'll, we'll get a little bit into in this episode. But about Linda's bio, so she actually received her Bachelor of Science in Dietetics from the University of California at Davis, as well as a Master of Science in Nutrition from the University of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And she completed several nutritional therapy seminars with doctors Jonathan Wright and also Alan Gabby, and they are two very well-known nutritional MDs who teach doctors on how to use nutrition to treat disease. And she's also mentored with orthomolecular medicine doctors and private medical practices. So Linda, to start things off, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal health history and what led you to traditional Chinese medicine? And we'll get into more of this in detail. But what I really love is you truly bridge the gap, in my opinion, by bringing a comprehensive overview of the healing benefits of traditional Chinese medicine with the perspective of the Western mindset and really making those come together and support the individual. But I know it, I know it didn't start out like that for you. So would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your, your personal journey? Sure. And thanks for having me. So my journey was, sounds like a little bit like yours. I came to Chinese medicine because I had digestive issues, but I probably had digestive issues because I had eating issues. And in Chinese medicine, we look at that all as one organ system imbalance. So I had pretty disordered eating through high school and college. I would overeat when things were stressful and binge eat when things were stressful and then not eat and diet when things calmed down. And this is a pretty bad thing to do for your whole digestive system. And I could never seem to get things to normalize and went to a lot of Western doctors with really not getting much help at all, no help just say no help. And finally, after graduating with my Bachelor of Science degree in nutrition, I went to a Chinese medicine doctor who was incredibly helpful. So it was a combination of telling me what how I should change my diet with acupuncture. You know, diet is just a small piece. It's just one of the branches, as they call them, of Chinese medicine. There's acupuncture and massage and movement and herbs. So as a result of this visit with this Chinese doctor, I it really transformed my health. It helped my digestion. It helped my energy. It helped my moods. It really reverberated into every aspect of my life. And this inspired me to want to learn all I could about Chinese medicine. So with that journey and everything that you found with Chinese medicine and making the changes, like what did you experience with your digestive issues? Did you find things started improving like radically or right away? Or like what happened when you actually did discover this whole world of Chinese medicine and started making those changes? 
Well, to back up a little bit, I in high school, I decided to become a vegetarian. So when I was maybe 14, 15, I just completely stopped eating all meat. There were periods of time where I was pretty close to vegan or vegan. And then there were times when I would have eggs and dairy. And over time, this really didn't serve me. So in Chinese medicine, you could say that my spleen she was becoming more and more imbalanced. So I became heavier, I gained weight, I developed a lot of stomach bloating. And I was tired and retained fluids and felt sort of anxious and worried and irritable. So I went through four years of Western education, which is a lot of additional reasons to worry (laughs) and to get stressed out. Finals were stressful and it's a lot of pre-med classes. So the classes are really challenging. And I really got worse during that time. So here I am studying nutrition and wanting to understand health through college. And I just got worse. You know, my eating fluctuations became more intense. So more binge eating and more restrictive dieting and worse fatigue. And, you know, my blood pressure started going up. And so after graduating, I just realized I have to look somewhere else. I'm obviously not going to find the answers that I was looking for in a traditional Western education. So when I went to see this Chinese medicine doctor, he took my pulses. And I don't know if listeners know this, but in Western medicine, if we check the pulse, we're looking for just beats per minute. It's one thing and it's a number. How many beats per minute? In Chinese medicine, and this is so amazing, there are 12 pulses and none of them are beats per minute. They're all sort of a window into an organ in the body. So with each different pulse, so there's different positions you can hold on the wrist and different depths you can press into to feel what's happening in all the different organ systems. So he checked my pulse and he looked at my tongue and he asked me some questions. And I like to say he was a man of very few words. He was a man of very few words. And he said, you need meat. And I said, oh, no, no. I just graduated with a degree in nutrition and I know how to get protein and I'm getting plenty of protein because I was eating seeds and nuts and legumes and eggs, which are a very good source of protein. And he said, no, you need meat. And he didn't explain much more than that. So he kind of left it at that and he did some acupuncture and sent me on my way. And that's when I started exploring, why would it be meat that I need? Like, what is it about meat that I need? And then I started understanding that in Chinese medicine, foods have qualities or properties. So in Western medicine, you know, my whole training in Western medicine is pretty much about numbers. So we look at grams of protein and milligrams of sodium and grams of carbs and grams of fat. And then we look at our blood lipids, and those are numbers, and blood sugar, that's a number, and blood pressure, that's a number. And in Chinese medicine, it's really all about qualities or properties. So instead of looking at three ounces of lamb has the same amount of protein as, say, three eggs, we would say lamb is warming and heating, and it really stimulates and nourishes the spleen energy. And spleen in Chinese medicine is very different from the organ that we think of in the West. It really is digestion, all of digestion. So what he was saying to me is you need this quality from meat. So meat has a yang quality. So you've heard of probably yin and yang. So yin is the complement or in in some ways it's an opposite, but it's really more of a complement to yang. So yin and yang 
we need those in balance for health. And my diet was far too yin. So I was eating lots of dairy and fruit and grains and vegetables. And those are all fairly yin foods. So meat is yang. And I wasn't getting any of that. It was really hard for me to start eating meat again. It had been maybe 15 years since I'd had any meat. And it took me another year, if you can believe that, to actually go to the store and buy about this little tiny piece of lamb. It was probably an ounce. And I brought it home and I minced it into tiny, tiny little pieces. And then I mixed it with broccoli and carrots and ginger and garlic and rice and onions and like all kinds of stuff. So I would not really think I was detecting it. And it really wasn't bad at all. I actually enjoyed it. And it was pretty at a very invigorating meal. I mean, at the end of that meal, I really felt a different and deep sense of warmth and energy. And I realized there was something in there that I needed. And it was different than protein. It wasn't, I mean, all the nuts and beans in the world were not going to give me what this one little ounce of lamb gave me. So I don't eat a lot of red meat now, but I know when I need it. And when I need it, I go get it. And I make, you know, my little stir fry or my little beef patty. And I, I have that and I can really feel that pick up in my energy and my resolve. And, you know, when I need to get things done, I need to write a book, or I need to see a lot of extra clients. Sometimes I just know I have to go get that meat. It's just important. Oh, I love that story so much. And I know, I know exactly what you mean about listening to your body's intuition. And when you do take in that food that your body so desperately needs at that moment, and you just get that feeling of it's just such a innate inner sense of, it feels like to me, like a sigh of relief. Like, yes, like this is what my body needed in that moment. I've definitely, definitely experienced that. Okay. So you brought up so many topics in, in that introduction. So excited to go into the details in some of it. And I meant to say this at the beginning. So we started talking about Paul Pitchford. That was how I got introduced to Chinese medicine, but then I wanted a more approachable overview to learn more. And I did a lot of, a lot of researching, trying to find like the book that was going to bring it all together for me. And that's how I came across your work, Linda, and found Live in the Balance. And guys, listeners, you've got to get this book. Referencing it right now, because I know Linda brought up a lot of topics just now, for example, like yin and yang, how different foods have different constitutions and heat patterns and cold patterns. And we'll, we'll talk all about that. But there are definitely in her book, she has lists of these foods and how to address that in detail, because we definitely won't be able to go into that much detail today. So if you want the actual, the details, the specifics, the guide with the irony of no numbers and things like that, like you were saying, Linda, but a, like a general overview, then definitely check out that book. So I thought we could um, clarify some concepts for listeners so we can get everybody on the same page. So for example, something that you mentioned a lot in the book is the concept of chi. And for listeners, that's spelled Q-I, <laughs> but chi. So what is chi? Oh, great question. So 
chi is pretty unique to Eastern medicine. In Western medicine, because we can't measure it, because we can't get a number to ascribe to chi, it just might as well not exist. And there isn't really a great term that means chi. So I'll just share some of the terms that are used and maybe through those you can get a sense. So it's been called universal life or universal energy, energy flow, a form of energy, life force, universal life force, universal life. So it's in essence a kind of energy and I think that most of you have maybe even experienced chi flow. So in the case of, let's say, you've got, say, digestive issues, and you've got this bloated, stuck feeling in your gut, where it just feels like nothing is moving, and it feels uncomfortable, maybe painful, that could be a, an example of qi, spleen qi being stuck. So we talk a lot in Chinese medicine about qi getting stuck different places. And actually just pain, a pain in your shoulder, a pain in your knees, a pain in your back or in your neck, that is probably qi that's stuck there. It, it is in some form, the qi that should be circulating freely and effortlessly through your body is getting stuck. So that's how we look at it in the body. There's also disciplines of decorating your living space or your office space called feng shui, which is designed to keep the flow of qi moving smoothly through your home or through your office. And qi is thought to exist and circulate through the entire planet, through the solar system, through the universe. So it's a type of energy or movement or flow that keeps things in balance and harmonized. I hope that made sense. No, that is a wonderful overview. I, that actually made me think of a really random question. So you're talking about anytime you feel a pain or your digestion is slowed, that that's chi getting blocked. So, because I know for a lot of people with digestive issues, they often feel like, you know, they have bloating or like things are stuck. We often <laughs> will revert to researching it being gut bacteria imbalances or, or parasites or things like that. So if there is an actual blockage of some sort, be it related to parasites or just, you know, actual literal fiber. So is that still related to chi being blocked as well? I'm trying to, I guess I'm trying to like clarify the difference between this chi moving and then actual physical blockages or like with pain, if it's from an actual tear in something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, in the case of, let's say the gut with maybe bacteria isn't optimal or there's candida, it's hard to know in Chinese medicine what comes first. So it could be that the qi starts slowing down or gets stuck, and then it sort of paves the way for undesirable bacteria to take hold. So then your your qi really gets stuck because there's all this mass of bacterial energy, and the qi can't really move through that very I don't know if this is exactly how a Chinese doctor would explain it, because we are bridging East and West. And usually the Chinese doctors that I've studied with stay in the TCM or traditional Chinese medicine world with their terms and their explanations. But in essence, both things are happening. So you you are maybe are getting a candida overgrowth and also qi is getting stagnant or stuck or blocked in that area. You know, an interesting example is a growth. So a tumor, a breast tumor, an ovarian 
growth. Um, those are stem from stuck qi. So if you go to your Chinese doctor early on, he can, he or she can take your pulses and ask questions and look at your tongue and find out, oh, there's some stuck energy in the, in the abdomen somewhere. So let's get that moving. So in that case, you could prevent getting this growth or this tumor or this mass by getting the chi moving. And that's why exercise is so important because it helps us move our chi. So you may notice after you go on a big bike ride or a walk or a jog or you dance, you feel really good because your chi or your energy is circulating through your body. And we know that it's harder for growths to happen. It's harder for cancer to take hold when we're exercising. In the West, we would say, oh, well, we're oxygenating the tissues and cancer doesn't like oxygen. So, you know, that's another way of describing it from the West. But from the East, we'd say, no, you're keeping your chi moving through exercise, through massage, through acupuncture, through proper diet. And that's preventing a tumor or a mass or a pain from forming. Okay. That makes so much sense. So it sounds like it's very self-perpetuating either way. If you're keeping the chi moving, that would continue to fuel that, like fuel everything moving compared to if things start slowing down or getting blocked, that can also perpetuate the buildup and the slowing down of, of chi. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something that is discussed all throughout the book and in traditional Chinese medicine is this overall idea of one's, quote, constitution. And then when a person understands their constitution or, you know, where they're at with that is when all these other factors can come into play. So what exactly is meant by one's constitution? Well, in Chinese medicine, there are nine different constitution types. And I don't spell them out quite that way in the book. But in essence, it's you can either be a healthy type, so you are balanced, or you can be what would be referred to as qi deficient. So that would be where this energy just isn't flowing and a person can feel short of breath and fatigued and they catch colds easily and flus easily. They're really sensitive to the environment. Then there's yang deficiency, which is similar but the person feels probably more sensitive to cold. They're very uncomfortable after they're eating cold food. They dislike wind and cold and humidity. They tend to be puffy. I'm not going to go through each one of these types because they're sort of nuanced in their differences. But in essence, a person could have too much heat or too much cold or dampness or dryness or wind. That's another way of looking at the constitutional types. It's just a little different way of looking at it. So a good example of a person with excess heat or too much yang in the body, I'll just give a real big stereotype here. So take a a man or a woman you might know who's really robust and they're, they tend to be loud and maybe they crack jokes a lot and they tend to have a red face and they maybe complain of headaches and they, their eyes tend to be red. So, you know, heat rises. So we get, can get headaches with heat and we can get red bloodshot eyes with heat. They tend to be the life of the party. They tend to have a temper. They might kind of blow their stack periodically and they crave cold things like cold beer, cold margaritas. They love that kind of thing. So that's a, a very stereotypical example of too much heat all over the body. And that kind of person is vulnerable to heart disease, heart attacks, high blood pressure. And then let's take the opposite 
type of constitution, a person that maybe has too much cold in the body. So a person with cold tends to be cold all the time. So they aren't hot all the time. They're cold. They're always putting on layers of sweaters and bundling up in a blanket in the corner of the couch. They aren't extroverted. They tend to be introverted and shy and maybe depressed. You might They might even complain of feeling depressed. They want hot things. They want hot tea or hot coffee or hot soup. And they tend to get sick pretty easily. Yeah, so that's kind of, in Western medicine, we might say they have anemia, so they don't have enough iron. And when you think about it, since meat is warming, lamb, beef, chicken, those are all warming, a person with a cold pattern might need more of those foods to kind of warm up. Whereas the person with the heat pattern might be, not necessarily, but might be overeating meats. They're having too much, too many burgers and too many lamb dishes and too much prime rib, it's possible. And then you have a person with dryness. Now that can happen just with age. We tend to dry out as we age. We produce less hormones and less secretions and less oils. So as we age, we can develop a pattern of dryness or it can be living in a place that's really dry and so there's not much ambient moisture in the air. It can be our lifestyle, a lot of stress and worry can dry us out and diet can contribute to that. So I went to college during the era when we were taught, oh, we shouldn't eat any fat. You know, we should eat the lowest fat diet humanly possible. And as a good student, I did that. (laughs) So I was able to figure out how to get every last drop of oil or fat out of my diet. And I became so dry. My hair is pretty sleek and straight, but it got frizzy and brittle. It just looked like different hair. My skin was really dry. My heels cracked. They were so dry, they cracked and actually bled. And yeah, so that was me being really, really dry. So that's another possible constitutional type. And then there is dampness, which we see a lot of in the States or in Western cultures. So dampness is associated with the earth element. So if you think of earth being saturated with water, being damp, being wet, that's sort of gives you an idea of what dampness is like. It's the person is going to feel heavy. They're probably overweight. You know, anytime you see a person who is overweight or obese, they have dampness going on in their body. So dampness is excess fat, excess flesh. It might be fluid retention. And it can just be mucus. It could be that person's weight is normal, but they have mucus in their sinuses and phlegm in the chest, you know, that's also dampness. There can be dampness in the GI tract. So if there's mucus in the stools, that's dampness. So those are all signs of dampness. And then wind is can also involve excess heat or cold or dampness. But wind is a little different kind of pattern. When a person has a wind pattern, they often have either pain or itching or a skin rash that moves around. So one morning they've got itchiness on their chest and then two days later their legs are itching and then a couple days later their back is itching. So it's something that's moving around. It could be pain. So one day your left ankle is aching and then the next day it's your left knee or your right knee or your shoulder. So that's an example of wind, um, seizure disorders, epilepsy, ticks, you know, funny movement, you know, think of wind moves things around. So in the body, when things move around, or the person moves around erratically, 
that's considered wind. Strokes are an example of a wind condition. Certain colds and coughs and flus can be a wind condition. So those are more acute. They're going to go away, unlike something like epilepsy. So those are really the constitutional types in a broader sense than these nine very specific nuanced types. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando And it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMELANIE to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMELANIE to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight. It's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the U.S. is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives, dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. 
That's dryfromwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Okay, that was such a brilliant overview. (laughs) Thank you. So for listeners, if you identified with that, if something resonated with you, it's really wonderful because in looking more into TCM and with Linda's book, Live in the Balance, you can learn more details about that specific pattern and then address it from there with, especially with like dietary choices. So I have a few follow-up questions related to that specifically. So you went over those five patterns, which were cold, hot, damp, dry, and wind in the quote, ideal body, like the balanced body. Would we not be any of those because we would be balanced? Like, do those only manifest as a sign of imbalance if you have a cold pattern or a hot pattern? So like, what is a balanced pattern? Is it not any of those? No, we can certainly be balanced and we can be balanced some of the time and then maybe have a heat pattern in the middle of August. We just feel burnout by the hot sun and we're hot and we're tired. And, you know, so we can have sort of a transitory pattern of heat, if you will, but we can be basically balanced. So a balanced person feels good. They have good energy. They're accomplishing their goals. They're able to get up in the morning and get going. And they're like you, you know, they get out there and they they do their job and they fulfill their mission and their destiny and they feel good. They're not getting sick all the time. If they do get sick, you can be healthy and balanced and get a cold or get a sore throat, but you get over it fairly quickly and then you're ready to go again. So a balanced person isn't walking around chilled all the time or perspiring all the time. They have good energy. They sleep well. You know, a person that has insomnia, there's something imbalanced there. So part of a healthy constitution is the person sleeps well. They don't have wild dreams waking them up at all times of the night or waking up worrying. So balance is achievable. And that's kind of what we strive for. But life is so filled with challenges and and ways to become out of balance that it's sort of a work in progress. I wouldn't say if you don't feel perfectly balanced all the time that you've got a big problem. But we know what we want to aim for. And that is feeling good and feeling energetic and pursuing our dreams and our passions. You know, that's really the ultimate in health. And that's what Chinese medicine really helps us achieve is that place, that balanced place. So is it kind of like the difference between, I'm just thinking aloud here. So if a person was balanced, they could go into a snowstorm and, you know, they might get temporarily cold from that snowstorm, but, you know, they weather it out, they can battle it. They're cold, you know, but then they come inside, they're okay. Versus a person who is just you know, in the snowstorm, cold to the bone, can't function. Like it's like they become the coldness versus yeah. they are able to deal with the transitory changes that may happen from Absolutely. Our, all the factors that we're hit with today. No, that's very true. And a person who lives in a really cold environment, or maybe their winters are cold, they really need those warming foods. You know, they, you can't live, I mean, you, I guess you can, especially if you've got an, a, like a miracle constitution, <laughs> but to live in a, in a really Arctic environment and to be, say, a vegetarian, I think that's really asking for trouble. And it's unlikely that person's ever going to feel truly warm and be able to fend off illness and stay well. 
Yeah, no, that's such a good point to bring up. It, it makes me think about, yeah, like the different diets of people who live, you know, around the equator, like you were saying, versus the, the poles, <laughs> the Arctics, and then, oh, then even things like seasonal eating, yeah, things like that. And that, that was something else that you talk about in the book is how these are all also all correlated to seasons and organs and emotions. So listeners, if you thought it stopped there, it doesn't. <laughs> There's so much. It goes on and on. It's really an, a very elegant system. And if you want to kind of get the overview of the five elements and how it all kind of fits together, maybe this is a good time to sort of show that. Yeah, that'd be great. So in Chinese medicine, we say there are five elements, or it's sometimes called the five element theory or the five element correspondences. So the elements are wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. And they each correspond, this is what's so elegant about the system, they each correspond to a yin and a yang organ. They correspond to a sense organ, like the eyes or the mouth or the nose or the ears. They correspond to an emotion, to a season, to one of those environmental influences, those constitutional types we just went through, to a color, to a flavor, a direction. So, and honestly, I think this might go on and on and on. It could really keep going. But so wood is an element and it corresponds to spring. And if you think about it, that's when there's growth. That's when wood grows the most is spring. And it corresponds to the liver and the gallbladder. And the sense organ are the eyes or sight. And the color is green, which makes sense. Things are green in the spring. And the flavor is sour. And the environmental influence is wind. So spring is a time when you might, if you tend toward liver issues, you might see more liver issues in the spring. Like we see irritable people get a little more irritable in the spring and there's more allergies in the spring. You might have itchy eyes in the spring. Yeah. So that's kind of an idea of what wood is about. Fire is the yin organ for the element. Fire is the heart. Heart. And then it's also associated with the mind. So kind of heart, mind, the small intestine, and the sense organ is the tongue or speech. The emotion is happiness or joy. The color is red and the flavor is bitter. The earth element is associated with the spleen or stomach. So that's what we were talking about earlier that can get so imbalanced when we eat poorly, we make poor food choices, or maybe we're a vegetarian when we shouldn't be a vegetarian. So that's the earth element. It's associated with the mouth and taste. And the emotion is worry and anxiety. So that's another way you can really mess with your digestion is to worry a lot and get anxious about things. So when your spleen and digestion is imbalanced, it can feed worry and anxiety. But if you end up in situations that leave you worried and anxious, it can weaken the spleen function. So it can weaken your digestion. And the color is yellow and the flavor is sweet. And that's another way to imbalance your spleen or your digestive energy is too many sweets. Too many sweets tend to imbalance the spleen or digestion. And in Western medicine, we can look at that as too many sweets feed candida or feed fungal overgrowth or um, feed bad bacteria in the digestive system. The metal element corresponds to the lungs and the large intestine, and the sense organ is the nose or the sense of smell. 
The emotion is grief and melancholy. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but when someone has some problem with their lungs or they have lung cancer or lung disease, we often see that they've suffered a pretty tremendous sadness, a loss of some kind. So they're suffering through grief. And I always ask if someone has lung issues, and I've worked with clients with lung cancer, and there tends to be a loss they remember. You know, it was a really hard for them to lose maybe a parent or a sibling. And the color associated with that is white, and the flavor is pungent or spicy. And then finally, we have the water element, which is associated with, oh, metal was associated with autumn. And then the water element is associated with winter. The organ is the kidneys and the bladder. And the emotion is fear or fright. And the color is black or darkness. And the flavor is salty. So if you kind of digest all those associations, you'll see some interesting connection. You know, water, it's the element that's associated with winter. So winter is when it rains. And the environmental influence is cold. So it's cold in winter. And it's interesting that black and darkness is the color. And then also it's interesting that the ears and hearing are the sense organ because when things go wrong with the kidneys, we sometimes see problems with hearing and the bones are also associated with the water element. So when things go wrong with the kidneys, we sometimes see problems with the bones. So in each of these categories, you'll see these kinds of connections. And so within these categories and these connections, just from baseline, are we as humans born embodying mostly one of these elements or multiple of these elements? Or is it like an internal thing? Yes, it's we're born with a tendency and then our environment fuels that or feeds that further and how we take care of ourselves contributes more but they each of these elements are considered archetypes so there's the wood archetype that's the doer the go-getter the guy or the woman that loves to build things and the, you know it's the construction worker and then the fire archetype is the passionate the person that can get overly passionate and loves to party and and be with other people and can get a fiery temper. And then there's the earth element. You think of the mothering, comforting, nurturing type of person. That's the earth archetype. And then the metal archetype tends to be more of the philosopher, the scientist. You know, a lot of our scientists and doctors are the metal archetype. You don't see them running out there being all passionate at solstice and tearing off their clothes. And, you know, they're more philosophical. And then the water archetype is more of a cold, flowing, a person that kind of goes with the flow, tends to be a little more chilled. Those are just archetypes. So, you could be born with a really strong tendency toward one of those archetypes, or you could be born pretty balanced. And then you move to the equator and you become maybe more of an earth archetype because, you know, you're around a lot of humidity and maybe you're eating more carbs or starch. So you can influence your general constitution in some way. Okay. That's really interesting. That's something I've been thinking about a lot because I, well, like when I was reading your book, I remember the first time I would like so many things would resonate with me and I was taking so many notes and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. But like when it comes to those archetypes, I mean, I feel like 
like for me looking at my life, I feel like my internal spirit, if that makes sense, which maybe that relates to the whole life force chi thing. Like I feel like it hasn't really fluctuated much, but then looking at these elements and these and the associated you know, patterns and seasons and organs and emotions, I feel like I've seen a huge shift in me from when I was growing up compared to now. And so I was really interested, like curious about how that could change. Did you move? Did you live in a very different place growing up? A different place. My diet now is radically different than when I was growing up. I grew up doing like the standard American diet and now I do a paleo whole foods approach. And then I also think when I did start experiencing digestive issues about five years ago, that also seemed to have created like, I don't want to say lasting changes, but it definitely, definitely has like affected things really intensely and has further led to my passion exploring all of this. Something I did want to touch on just briefly, because everything you just said, I mean, so comprehensive on the one hand, it's it's very literary. Like it sounds like, oh, you know, like it's like a story and it's it's beautiful and these ideas and it can seem divergent in a way from science and medicine and what Western society sees as quote real. But I mean, if you think about it, I was just thinking while you were talking, like you were talking about how, you know, worry is attached to like digestive issues, for example. And it's and now we know that, you know, our our neurotransmitters like serotonin, for example, is largely produced in the gut and, you know, massively affects our digestion. And and we know we're learning more and more about how our state of mind on a very, quote, scientific level affects things like our digestion. I, I just think it's so fascinating that this timeless wisdom of TCM, it always knew and now, and we thought we knew better with Western medicine, but now I think we're kind of starting to realize how it all goes together. Like the science is supporting what they've known for ages. It's true. And it's been really fascinating to, I've kind of bounced back and forth between studying Western medicine and nutrition and studying Eastern. And it's so fun because you see like, oh, this is just the Western way of explaining what they've always known in Eastern medicine. And you're right, we we call the gut now the second brain because there's this connection with the vagus nerve between the gut and the brain and the gut connects and, and communicates with the brain. And so worry and anxiety is going to be just this massive two-way highway that goes from the brain to the gut, from the gut back up to the brain. Yeah, it's really, it's so fun to see the parallels and to just see the different verbiage. You know, we, we obviously use different words in Western medicine than we do in Chinese medicine. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it so much. So coming back a little bit to the food aspect of things. So when a person does find themselves unbalanced and they are looking to, you know, correct and bring back this chi, this life force and bring themselves back into balance so does that ironically call for a temporarily unbalanced diet to correct the unbalance and then ultimately you would transition to a balanced diet? Because like if you're if you're you know if you're experiencing an excess of yang and heat, does that mean you need to revert to a cooling diet that would look unbalanced from TCM perspective, but it's because it's addressing the unbalance? No, I care what you're saying. And I, I haven't really thought of it in that way, but 
you could look at it that way, or you could look at it like each one of us has a slightly different need in our diet in some way. So we have subtle differences. You and I might sit down to a dinner together and I have a little more of this dish over here and you have a little more of that dish over there because our constitutions are just a little bit different. So I wouldn't say that we're imbalanced. And for me, for example, when I went from no meat to meat, I wasn't really eating a lot of meat and I still to this day, so I've been eating meat for a lot of years now, I don't ever sit down to big plates of steak or I don't sit down to a big serving of meat ever, which is really ideal in Chinese medicine. Meat is a powerful food and you wouldn't want a big piece of it. So transitioning from my spleen chi deficient state to a healthy state just required me to put in the amount of meat that I still eat really. So I guess in kind of puzzling it through just out loud here, (laughs) I'd say I never really had to overdo, but you will see, this is kind of interesting to watch a lot of people that come into the heart disease program, like Pritikin and Dean Ornish programs. So when they first transition from their pretty American diet, you know, their sad diet, there are tons of meat and French fries and sugar. It's pretty radical change. They cut out all their fat, which is another story, not good. And they cut out all the sugar, which is pretty good because they've been eating too much and their white carbs and they cut out all their meat, which isn't good. But because most of them are hot from overwork and stress and too many heating foods, it's good in the beginning. So they tend to report in the beginning, they feel really good. And Some of it may be because they're doing some meditation and movement and they have group support. I used to work at the Claremont Resort and Spa in Berkeley and and Dean Ornish would bring his people there to do their retreats. So I got to kind of hang out with them and talk to them and I would end up seeing those patients after they said, I cannot do this one more day. So in the beginning, they would feel good because they did cut out all the things that were really imbalancing for them. And it kind of brought them closer to balance. But then after a while being that radical with no fat and no meat and mostly raw foods, they started feeling poorly in other ways. And so I guess that radical switch in their eating maybe was kind of an instant balancer. Maybe it helped them right in the beginning, but then they needed to get back into a, a true balance where they had a more oils, more good fats, a little bit of meat or animal products, and not so many raw things. I mean, that that was what I saw with that kind of a group. Okay, that yeah, that makes so much sense. And I think, I mean, I think that could be such a helpful paradigm shift for so many people if we could start seeing these, quote, extreme dietary approaches, be it veganism, carnivore, things like that. I mean, I would even posit seeing them as potentially therapeutically and feel free to disagree with me or give me your thoughts on this as, um, you know, potentially therapeutic in the short term, because they are, like you said, removing, maybe removing things that were causing problems or addressing an imbalance. But ultimately I feel like the person would want to reach that balanced state where their diet is as a comprehensive diet providing balance in general, rather than always being on this extreme version. I was actually going to 
to throw in like a curveball. <laughs> I was dying to know your thoughts on all the people who are experiencing like radical health benefits from like the carnivore diet, for example. I don't really ever see that in TCM. I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. So basically, I mean, it's similar to the extreme, you know, low fat Pritikin type thing. I mean, an all meat diet. Yeah. So how do you feel about people who seemingly are thriving on extreme diets? Well, I think that it can be just the fact that they've taken out some really bad things. So they've taken out all the sugar and the white flour and, you know, they're just living on an all like a carnivore diet where I'm thinking, okay, it's pretty much all meat, poultry, fish, and eggs. Is that what you're saying when you say carnivore diet? I mean, that's what I think of. Yeah. So um, are you familiar with like the carnivore diet now as like a popular movement that that it's becoming? Gosh, I might have missed that. But when you say carnivore, I just think meat, meat, meat. Oh, okay. Sorry. I just threw it out there with no context then. Actually, my third episode of this podcast was all about it. Yeah. There's this whole movement called carnivore and people are, it's basically all meat. Some people do dairy with it as well. Some people do like eggs. Some people just do like straight beef only, but people are seeing, I mean, so many like testimonials of people seeing radical changes, especially in like autoimmune conditions. I guess it's the most extreme of an elimination diet in all honesty. Uh, After you could do some Googling, it's really, really fascinating. So yeah, that does. I mean, when you say carnivore, that would be what I would envision. And you're right in that with autoimmune, so I'm going to put on the Western hat here. There are some people that will be able to get over their autoimmune condition just by getting rid of gluten, sugar, and maybe dairy, but for sure gluten and sugar. And then there are other people that, you know, maybe with like in the case of lupus, it doesn't go away. They've got rid of their gluten. They've got rid of their sugar. They still have this autoimmune condition. They're finding now that when they cut out all grains, that And this kind of flies in the face of Chinese medicine, where your rice or some kind of grain should be the cornerstone, the foundation of your diet. So from just a Western perspective, cutting out all grains in a person that has an autoimmune disorder can completely eliminate it. And it's one of the only things that health officials have seen that has completely eliminated certain kinds of autoimmune disorders. Now, I would do other things for people before suggesting they cut their diet back that much. Or at least I would say, okay, we're going to do, you know, switch to more animal products, but we're going to, we're going to leave in, say, winter squashes and root vegetables, which are sources of carbohydrate. This is Western thinking. It's not a great, they aren't grains, but at least it gives you some carb, which I think you do need. And I think for that over time, people that are on strictly meat, unless maybe they live in the Arctic Circle, and they were born an Inuit, I think they're going to have trouble. I mean, that's my current thoughts on it is that I think people are seeing radical changes in their health. And I completely, you know, believe them that it's changing their life for the better, you know, at this moment that they're practicing it. I do think people should be open to the idea that does, it might not be sustainable. And if it's not, that it is okay to, you know, reintroduce foods in the future. Yes. You know what? I just thought of something. In all of nutrition, there's only one medical disorder that diet can actually cure. By that, I mean, it can cure it. It can end it forever. And then you can go back to your old poor eating choices again and not have it. Wait, I am on the edge of my seat right now. Okay. (laughs) So it's 
epilepsy. Right. So we've known this for a number of years. So if a person goes on a ketogenic diet, which is super restrictive, imbalanced, it's almost all fat and meat and more fat than meat. Well, you couldn't possibly stay on a ketogenic diet and eat any kind of carbohydrate. It just wouldn't work. So I worked with a man who was having five grand mal seizures a day. And he had a family and a job. So it was not working for him. And he was, he said, I will do anything, but I want to try this ketogenic diet. So we had to do a lot of math. It came back to the Western. This is really Western. I mean, maybe with, if he had been willing to do acupuncture and Tai Chi, I bet he could have gotten rid of it, but he didn't want to do that. He just wanted to do the ketogenic diet because he'd read about it. So we went on ketogenic diet, which again is mainly fat, a lot of protein, and non-starchy veggies. And I did the math for him. So we kept his carb grams super low. So if you overate lettuce, you would be out of ketosis and you, you would no longer be, quote, on the diet. So we got the level of carbs that he needed to stick to. And as long as he stuck to that, he had no seizures, no seizures at all, zero. He went from five a day to no seizures. And one day he said, well, I had a couple of seizures. And I said, well, what, did you change your diet? Did you add something back? He goes, yeah, I put a cherry tomato on my salad. Oh my goodness. So just that little tiny bit of carbohydrate in that cherry tomato was enough to flip him out of ketosis, which is if your fat and protein levels high enough and your carbs are low enough, you produce what are called ketone bodies. And somehow these go to work to repair the brain. And if you can hang in there, and he did it, if you can hang in there, it's different for everybody, but at least a year eating like this, you can fix the problem in your brain. You can actually turn off whatever's causing these seizures. And so he was able to go back to, you know, he ate healthy since then. Because he said, look, when I eat more meat and fat and leafy greens, I feel better. I feel better in every way. So it's not just I'm not having seizures, but I really feel good. So he's eating more that way. He didn't go back to a complete junk food diet, but he doesn't, he can eat cherry tomatoes now and he doesn't have seizures. But there's a great example of, that supports what you are saying, that maybe a really restrictive, extreme diet could fix something. That is fascinating because I, I knew about you know using the ketogenic diet to address epilepsy and things like that. I hadn't actually considered or researched what you were saying about actually curing it and then it not coming back. So huge question. So for example, he had that cherry tomato and had you know seizures from that. So if, if a person is doing a ketogenic diet to address epilepsy, for example, so an extreme case, if they've been doing it successfully for, you know, five months and then they have this slip up, does it set them back? Do they have to like start over a whole year or is it like... No, he didn't have to. And it's hard to find research on it because too few people are willing. It's so odd, isn't it? Like they'd rather have epilepsy than cut out all their carbs. And with little kids, how do you explain that? I mean, it's a lot of times we see seizure disorders in little kids, and it's really hard to get them to follow. Nowadays, it isn't as hard. But back when they were just starting to research this, ketogenic diets were formulaic, chemical diets that were really disgusting. Like you drank these fatty solutions with fake sugar and chemicals. And, you know, people probably didn't feel very good on them. And then they tasted awful. So it was hard for them to stay with it. But no, you can stay as pretty close and hang in there for in, in, the amount of time varies from person to person. So it's hard to say, oh, yeah, one year and you're good. Maybe it's a year and a half. Maybe it's 
nine months, maybe it's two years. I think it's hard to know depending on how much damage has happened in the brain. Yeah, that's so fascinating because I've actually also been recently wondering a ton about people addressing autoimmune conditions with diet and just wondering, you know, if they're doing really well for like three months, seeing a lot of improvements and then have some sort of exposure to the type of food that was causing the autoimmune problems. I've just been wondering like how much, like, does it set you back to ground zero or, you know... Yeah, I think it can. I think it can. That's where the interesting thing comes in with epilepsy and the brain getting actually repaired by this diet. So this is a tangent we you won't have to go down, but I have been studying homeopathy for the last 10 to 12 years. And there are remedies you can take that will fix that problem, that will fix that. So yes, you get off the food that's causing the gluten, especially with autoimmune. Sometimes it's all the grains. And sometimes people are just sensitive to so many things. And I got really frustrated over the years telling people like, okay, here's the list of foods you can't eat. It would be long, you know, okay, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this, you can't eat this, you can't eat this. And finally, I said, I have to find some other way to help people. This is crazy. You know, not everybody's going to go to acupuncture and take Tai Chi classes and get massage. So I started studying homeopathy, which interestingly, takes into consideration all the things we look at in Chinese medicine. Does this person tend to be cold all the time? Does this person tend to be hot all the time? Are there fluids building up in this person's legs or their digestive system? And there are remedies that are based on the person. And you can actually turn around an autoimmune condition. You can turn around allergies. I've been working with people that have horrible seasonal allergies. And it's so great to connect with them the next spring. Like, hey, how are you doing? Are you still having those allergies? No, this year I don't have any. You know, we we worked through these remedies the season before, and now it's the next year and it, they're still good to go. That is, it's so motivating. So motivating. Yes, doing a homeopathy interview with someone that's more, you know, that's been doing it for longer than 10 years would be great, a podcast on homeopathy. Hi, friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like
like a barrier. I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it. And it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality, they're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit, that's what I have, and it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving, it's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, 
two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste, Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Oh, I will to-do list. Okay. Writing that down right now. (laughs) Okay. So actually something you brought up and I do want to touch on it fairly briefly. You brought up, for example, rice and rice is considered, like you said, in TCM, it's one of the like most balanced food. And I think, so honestly, in looking at TCM, the one thing that was always kind of like, cause I'm so on board with it and I, I read all the stuff. I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. 
except, and you brought this up, the one thing that I'm like, oh, but uh, is because there is a lot of talk about different grains and the, the healing properties of them and healing the body with grains. And <laughs> that's what I've been struggling with with TCM because at least I know for me, I do not do well with grains. And I've seen, and I know like there's the whole thing about, mo- you know, modern grains in America are, you know, vastly different from traditionally prepared grains. And so, yeah, what are your thoughts on grains and TCM? And then also I know rice being the, is it according to TCM, like the most like balanced healing food? It's neutral. So there's no, it's not cold. It's not warm. It's not damp or dry. It's neutral. And so it should be the foundation or Chinese medicine. It's the foundation of all meals. And I think the one of the reasons they could get away with this in traditional, I mean, remember, this is a system that's been evolving over the last three, you know, it's hard to know, 3000 years, at least 3000 years. So a thousand years ago, or 2000 or 3000 years ago, people were much more physical. And there was no junk food to tempt us, right? There was no little almond joy bars at the store and jawbreakers and jelly bellies and all those things. So it was hard to really throw yourself out of balance with those things. So you didn't have to give up your rice and you were active, you know, you chopped your wood and you carried your water and you cooked and you led the animals all around and you build things. So you could very easily eat rice at all three meals and it was a non-issue. I think part of what's happening in today, a couple of things are happening in today's day and age. People overdo carbs. We love carbs. We love our breads and our bagels and our muffins and our cookies and our candy and our ice cream. And so rice kind of gets lumped in and it gets sort of tainted, even though it's not the rice. It's all these carbs that we tend to overdo. I think if we simplified the carb intake and just ate more like someone might have a couple hundred years ago, without all our, you know, the processed foods thrown in on top of that, I think you could get away with the rice. The other thing, and this is so sad to say, but rice nowadays is grown, especially in the southern United States, it's grown where we used to grow cotton. And they used a lot of arsenic based pesticides on the cotton. So now the soils are saturated with arsenic. And so a lot of people when they're eating rice, especially brown rice, which is what you eat when you're trying to be health conscious, that's got a lot of arsenic in it. And I think over time, people can feel poorly from that. And I wonder if sometimes people are not reacting so much to the grain itself, but to the arsenic in it. So there's, you know, people when they eat gluten free, they're usually eating more rice, and they're tending to get arsenic buildup in their bodies. So the key would be always get white. And you know, the Chinese eat white rice too. Brown rice, it doesn't have a magic special health property. So I would just get white rice, rinse it and get organic and get it hopefully from California and rinse it over and over and over and over again before you cook it. And you should be able to really reduce the amount of arsenic in there. But that's, I think, maybe a potential issue. I love that you do have this perspective of everything and this you know, realization of our modern diet and grains and how things and what we're eating and how things are affecting things so that when people read your book, they get, they get all the information from TCM, but knowing it's coming from somebody who understands these, these factors that I think weren't necessarily 
in play historically with TCM. So I think that's so important, so valid. Something else I wanted to ask you about, which you talk about a lot in the book, is because it kind of reminds me about you're talking about the difference between white rice versus, you know, brown rice, how the Chinese actually eat, you know, mostly like white rice, which we tend to see in modern Western society as no, but you need the whole grain, you need the brown rice. Kind of reminds me of speaking of like fruits and vegetables, you talk about how raw fruits and vegetables are actually, and I hadn't really considered this until I read it in your book, but how like salads, for example, as like a huge part of our diet are, it's pretty unique to the US. Yes, it's <laughs> like, true. Um, yeah, I read that and I was like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. So I was wondering if you could touch briefly on TCM's view of raw fruits and vegetables and why that might be problematic, but at the same time, the overall super healing potential of vegetables. I know you talk about like the color green being the master color. So th- those two, those two little things. So the spleen, which again, isn't the organ spleen in Chinese medicine or TCM, it's the whole digestive process and organs involving digestion. So the spleen includes everything from your mouth and tasting food to elimination and everything in between. That's the spleen. So when we say spleen, we really mean spleen, pancreas, stomach, intestines. (laughs) We kind of are saying all those things and all the activities that happen therein. So the spleen in Chinese medicine, we would say the spleen really likes warmth and hates cold. The spleen wants warmth. So the spleen, or you can look at it like the stomach. Sometimes we were taught in my Chinese nutrition classes that the stomach is like this cauldron of simmering, like a stew happening in your body. And so if you dump in raw, like salads or cold water, iced water, cold water, cold iced tea, ice cream, it puts out the fire. So it can cause some of this stagnation, this cheese stagnation we talked about. So it's really hard on our digestion. Our digestion doesn't want this cold drinks to either temperature wise or raw produce wise. So raw vegetables and fruits are For the most part, there's some exceptions, but for the most part, they're cooling. So lettuce is really cooling, spinach really, really cooling. Most fruits, especially summer fruits like melon, are really cooling. So we don't want a lot of those foods. So we don't want to, you know, belly up to a salad every lunch and dinner. We want more soups and stews, cooked things, stir fried things, things that even just lightly cooked. Now in the summer, when it's hot and cooked hot things don't sound good. I mean, interestingly, if you go to a really hot place in the world, like you you go to Vietnam or you go to Southern China, people are eating hot soups and spicy with chili peppers and they're steaming hot balls of soup or stew and with hot tea. So there are reasons for this, but those actually ultimately, if you have chili peppers in them, it cools you because you know the chilies dilate your capillaries and cool you off. But it's interesting that even there, you'll see more warm things than cold. But in the summertime here in our country or in other countries, if it's hot and you're unpleasantly warm and it's the middle of July or August, having a piece of melon is not considered unhealthy. So a raw piece of watermelon or honeydew or cantaloupe or a peach or an apple, those are not considered unhealthy. The unhealthy part comes in when 
And I was guilty of this for many years. I'll just step up to the plate and say, hey, I did this. <laughs> and it didn't work out. Um, having salads for lunch and dinner, lunch and dinner, you know, over and over in any season isn't great. You know, having a little bit of raw greens with your warm meal is probably fine. Having fermented cabbage, you know, like kimchi or sauerkraut is not considered raw, even though we haven't cooked those things. They're fermented and those are fine. But the stomach and the spleen want warmth. So again, just the raw foodies, those people, I see a lot of them get into trouble. They get really cold and sort of debilitated and weak and they start getting sick really easily and they have digestive trouble. So it could work for them in the beginning. And I'll talk to raw foodies who will say, hey, I feel great. And how long have you been doing this? I've been doing it almost six months. <laughs> so right, yeah. they might do great in the beginning, especially if they just came out of a really heavy duty meat processed diet. But in the long term, it's really, it's not going to serve them. Okay, gotcha. Speaking of the salads, one of the the things I learned in your book that was fascinating, you you mentioned the like a waxy substance on leaves that actually, yeah, I was like, what? I had not heard of this before. Um, so this is a great example of knowing Western doctors. So I, there was a doctor in San Francisco when I was living there, Richard Cunyon. I don't know if anybody, if anybody's really into health and medicine, they've probably run across his name. He's really an eccentric, interesting MD that had this huge mansion on, on Pacific in San Francisco. And he would have these gatherings of physicians that would come over. It was one night a month, maybe it was two nights a month. And we would talk about all kinds of things. I mean, one time he had a schizophrenic patient there who talked about how diet would pull him out of his hallucinations. And one night he talked about how he had all these patients come in, most of them women who are tired and sluggish and draggy and bloaty and they couldn't lose weight and they were eating salads all the time. And he started doing blood work on them. And he found that when they were eating lots of salads, especially other kinds of leafy greens that were raw, like, you know how everybody's into raw kale now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like kale smoothies and kale massaged kale salads, especially that kind of green that's a more coarse, hearty green. When you eat those raw, there's nature actually provides a waxy coating on the outside layer of those types of leaves to protect it in nature, you know, from bugs and elements. And cooking dissolves that wax. So if you think of wax melts when you cook it, so it's not a wax that you can like scrape off and make a candle out of, but it's, you know, there's a kind of wax coating on there and it's broken down when you cook it, but not when it's raw. So these women, he said, I'm seeing high, high levels of this wax. And the only place we see it in nature is on the coatings of leaves. Don't even ask me how he figured all this out. But he says, as soon as I get them off all their salads and onto cooked things and, you know, just not raw greens, they feel better and they lose their weight because the this wax actually prevents fat from getting into the mitochondria where it's burned. And so you don't get energy, you don't get warmth, you don't get heat, you don't get to burn your fat off. So it was contributing to, to sort of all the things we complain about. I think as a society, I'm overweight, I'm tired, I don't have any energy, I can't burn fat no matter what kind of diet I go on. It was so perfect because in Chinese medicine, well, I remember one of my Chinese doctors 
mentors said to me, I said, why? I would ask him over and over, why are Americans so fat? Why are Americans so heavy? He didn't really like to answer questions. But one day he said, because they eat too many salads. Oh my goodness. Wow. So then putting this together with what Dr. Kunyan said, it was just like this huge aha, like, oh, oh, I get that now. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And I'm so glad that I got you know, more details on that. Cause I read that and I was like, that is so fascinating. And I was wondering if it was, if the waxy substance was something that was added, but you're saying it's like something intrinsic to the plant. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I could literally talk to you for hours. I do want to let listeners know. So in Linda's book, Live in the Balance, she does have lists of all the foods and what foods address all these different types, all these different patterns. So you can really find, you know, how to tweak your diet and really find something that does work for you. So things, for example, that I was really focusing on was I learned that blueberries and grapes are good for dampness, for example, and then carbs often cause dampness, but some carbs can help reduce dampness. So that was things like cooked pumpkin and turnip and rye. And then, I mean, there's just so many details. So definitely check out that book. I was wondering, Linda, if I could just rapid fire, just hit you with a few really quick, super random questions that have just been haunting me. Yeah. Okay. Number one, I really gravitate towards meat. I always have. I feel like I really thrive on it. I don't even know if blood type is important. I am a blood type O, but... I'm fascinated because there is a connection. Okay. Okay. So you do. There's okay. a connection. <laughs> I, I'll yeah. stop there because I feel like we could talk about that for like a long time. But recently, I feel like I've been experiencing symptoms. And this is something you discussed in the book as well false heat, feeling hot, but feeling like I also really identify with the um, cold pattern and like needing yin deficiency, maybe. Yeah. So I, I need to go see like a, you know, an acupuncturist now that I've moved to Atlanta. But I was wondering, so when it comes to the meats, because the meats are typically warming, why is pork not warming? Like pork seems to be the one cooling meat. Do you know why that is? I have to say that there's not necessarily a reason for things in Chinese medicine. Some things just are, you have to just accept them as at face value. So all I can say is it's an interesting observation that in really hot tropical places, they eat a lot of pork and they don't eat a lot of lamb, right? Because lamb is warming and you wouldn't want to be eating a lot of lamb when it's uh, really high heat and humidity outside. So I can only look at things as making interesting observations, but yeah, pork and duck or two examples of things that aren't warming, whereas beef and lamb are really warming meats. So duck as well is more cooling? Um, it's more neutral. More neutral. But pork is actually, is it neutral or is it cooling by TCM? It's pretty centered in between both of those. It's between cooling and neutral. And then what people do when they prepare it is they might add some warmth and some cool, like you might put, say, mint is really cooling. So you might like put a little mint and then ginger's warming and garlic's warming. So you might do ginger, mint and garlic and use seasonings like that, where you're now getting different polarities pulled into that pork. So you've got something warming in there, you got something more cooling in there. And so you're sort of keeping with the neutral undertone, but you're 
you're balancing out things by adding both warming and cooling seasonings, which really helps get the chi moving. It's interesting to watch, especially older people when their doctors tell them, oh, your circulation's really not doing well and your you know your heart's just not able to get that blood going through your legs and then they they add ginger and garlic and onions and maybe just a teeny bit of chili i mean i would say don't run out and buy a bunch of chilies and add it to your food but just a tiny bit can really get that chi moving so you start out with something neutral like pork and then you zing it up a little bit with some some flavorings you know that have some zing to them and you can help your circulation I kind of detoured with that answer. Sorry. No, 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 no. You didn't detour at all. I was going to say we are on the same wavelength because my second question was actually just that. And maybe this is looking at it from too much of a black and white perspective, but I was dying to know your thoughts on, okay, so comparing, because you talk about how you can make in the book, and like you just said, you know, warming meats, you can make them more cooling, or for example, you could make a cooling foundation of vegetables, you could make it more warming with, you know, warming spices. So in comparing the two, does the foundational element of the meal predominate or does the, the like added spice predominate? I guess my question is, so if you're choosing between a meal of like warming meat with cooling spices compared to cooling vegetables with warming spices, do you think one is going to be more warming regardless or more cooling regardless. I know that's very black and white, but I... Yeah. If you have a cold pattern, you tend to be cold or it's winter. Let's say you're perfectly balanced and it's dead of winter and it's sleeting outside. I would pick the beef centered meal and then use a little bit of those accent spices, seasonings, flavorings to balance it. So you wouldn't take meat, which is warming, and then only put on more warming spices, like only put on garlic, ginger, pepper. You would want to do a little something with a cooling, you know, the yin yang symbol has that yin side and yang side. And then on either side, there's a little dot of the opposite So you would want to use a little bit of the opposite. I think it's really interesting that I don't know if it's so much the case today, but historically in this country, whenever you see lamb on a menu in a restaurant, they always have like a mint sauce. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's an example of a really heating, warming food, but then mint is very cooling. So you just put a little bit on, right? So if you had a cold pattern, you would have that lamb and just a very small amount of the mint sauce. And if you tended toward more heat in your body, you might use a lot of it. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. You might use a lot more and then have more, a lot more vegetables with that lamb if you had a heat pattern. Okay. Yeah. No, that's so fascinating. Uh, okay. Well, there is so much here. I could honestly talk to you for like another five hours, but instead <laughs> I will refer listeners again to the book and I didn't even mention this yet, but I was so passionate about this book that I reached out to Linda about, actually, how long ago was it that I first reached out to you? It was probably... It was a while back. I think it was kind of busy and I kept putting you off and it was... A year and a half? Yes. Basically, guys, (laughs) I reached out to Linda and I was like, can I record the audiobook for your book? Because... I'm obsessed with it. And the timeline was crazy. And then I ended up doing some other projects. And But finally, the universe came together. And we are 
well, right now we're, we're wrapping it up, the audiobook version of Live in the Balance. And by the time this podcast airs, it will be up on Audible, which is super duper exciting. And I am narrating it. It's also super excited because it's updated. So Linda went through and made some updates. And um, I think that's something I wanted to point out as well is that, you know, you're not locked into any one idea, which I think so many people, especially in the dietary world, they get locked into these, these ideas and then they won't change. But like Linda, for example, has been talking with me and she updated the book about her, her evolving thoughts on things like the role of fats in diet. So this book, the audiobook version is updated. It has like a whole, she completely rewrote the chapter on fats. It's, it's the foundation is the same, but I don't know if you want to talk about that all briefly, just how you, your thoughts had evolved a little bit with um, fats and diet. Yeah, my thoughts have evolved a lot since I wrote the book on fats. So I went through and changed a lot of things throughout the book where I was, you know, sort of nudging people toward eating lower fat, which was really the paradigm at the time in the West. And, and since this was an East-West book, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I covered the try to eat on the lower end of low fat, you know, try to eat lower fat. But I honestly don't believe that anymore. And I've incorporated a lot of changes on fat and then totally rewrote the chapter that was on fat. So if you have the book, I definitely recommend tuning into the audio so you can really get sort of the latest, you know, what we really know about fats, but with a little bit of the TCM lens in there. Definitely check out the audiobook for the, the latest and greatest. And just want to tell you, I, I learned something. So I didn't know at all, Linda, in the, the new fat chapter you were talking about, I didn't realize what canola stood for. Oh, yeah, that's not that interesting. It's a scary oil. I would try to avoid that and read up on it before you do choose to eat any of it. Yeah. So I, I won't even tell you listeners what it stands for, but um, you should check out the fat chapter in the new audiobook to learn about the history because that was really fascinating. But thank you, Linda, so much. So I do have one last question, and it's the question that I ask every single guest on this podcast as the final question. And it's just because I've realized how completely important our mindset is in our health and our well-being and just our life as a whole. So I was just wondering, what is something that you're grateful for? doesn't have to be the most grateful, but just what is something that you're grateful for? Oh, there's so many things. I'm grateful for where I live now, which is on a beautiful river. And I'm grateful for the path that I've chosen that I can understand life and health and in the way that I do. And I'm grateful for my many mentors and teachers. And I've had some of the most amazing teachers and mentors. So I'm grateful for them. And I could go on and on, but <laughs> I'm a grateful person. It's it's funny. Once you start thinking of things you're grateful for, you want to just keep going on and on. That's the way. Um, but thank you so much. I am honestly, so, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for your work, for Chinese medicine in general, all of it. So thank you for what you're doing. And this has been... Thank you, Melanie. This has been great. Oh yeah, this conversation has been absolutely wonderful. And Linda is offering for our listeners something which is so wonderful because she's an amazing resource. She's offering listeners to email her. You can email her 
one free question, not like some, she can't provide like, you know, a complete medical diagnosis. For, so please, please do not overwhelm her. She'll be like, what have you done, Melanie? Um, but if you have like a very simple question about TCM, you can email her and she will answer you. So you can send those questions to Linda at lindaprout.com. And I will put all of this information in the show notes. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash TCM. So thank you so much for that, Linda. I'm sure a lot of listeners will take you up on that. And listeners, please. Good. Yeah. Like I said, keep it. (laughs) Pretty simple questions. So super, super excited for that. I will also put links in the show notes to Linda's book, the print version, of course, as well as the new audiobook on Audible. And all the information will be there. So this has been absolutely wonderful. And Linda, I hope that I'm just looking forward to our future collaborations and our friendship and working together. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Likewise. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got it.